Hello and welcome to the Drums Leadership Lessons, a podcast that aims to speak to advertising and media professionals from all around the world and find out how they view their management and aim to motivate the people they work with and find out a bit more about the leaders that they have learned from and looked up to. I am Stephen Leptak, editor of The Drum and your host for this series. Hi there, and welcome to the, the latest uh, leadership lesson. And I'm joined today by Rob Pierre, the chief executive of Jellyfish Group, uh, the digital marketing uh, agency group company, which uh, earlier this year was the winner at the Search Awards of Agency of the Year, but does an awful lot more than that. I always, I always uh, repeat when I speak to Rob. So I'm here in London at the headquarters at the Shard, but you have 25 different offices all around the world. So you're in the UK, US, Spain, South Africa, Dubai, South Korea, Denmark, Hong Kong, Singapore, the Netherlands and Israel. Am I missing anywhere out? Yes, you're missing uh, Japan. You're missing... Did you say all of the US offices? I just um, said US. Okay, right. Yes, yeah, so the US. So, no, it's mainly Japan, I think, that's missing in that list. You said India, right? I didn't. India as well. So, I, I had mind. 25 offices down, but they're clearly more than that. Right. No, I think it's 25 offices. Right, it's just okay. the number of countries. We, in some countries, we have like four or five offices, like in the US. We're in Washington, D.C., New York, San Francisco, Denver, Baltimore. So there's some countries, and in South Africa, for example, we're in Cape Town, Durban, and Johannesburg. Crazy. So we're here to talk about leadership and get your experiences and insights on leadership. And uh, what I wanted to do there was clarify the scale of this business and just how uh, spread out it is. Do you, how often do you have to go and see all of the those offices, or let me, let me just understand how that, how that works for you. So I think it is important. As a global CEO, I think it's very important that you do have that face-to-face time. I still have uh, the policy that I induct everybody that starts. Now, though it used to be one or two people and an intimate one and a half hours where we would talk about my history, where the brand has come from, what our values are and what we're trying to achieve. Um, now, those sessions are 30 or 40 people <laughs> at a time, as yeah. you can imagine. So if I'm not in the US or uh, like South Africa or some of the, the more emerged markets, by the time I get back round to that office, it's a huge number of new starters. But I still think it's very important that I do that. And when I was researching this, I was trying to understand just how many staff do you have? But you're always growing. So how big is the business now? So we've got 780 people. Right. Now 781, <laughs> probably, as we're speaking. Okay. It's uh, growing at that kind of pace. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, within the next three to six months, we're going to be well in excess of 1,000 people. Uh, I think it's just it's essentially growing exponentially with the geographic rollout as well as the addition of capabilities as well as a few strategic acquisitions we're really starting to to grow at a a pace so i I always start uh, these sessions by asking what does leadership or the word leadership mean to you what do you think of when you hear that word i think it's uh, providing a vision and a strategy that everybody can get behind Mm -hmm. as well as values I think they're the two things. It's a strategy and vision so that everybody can actually, they all know their, what we call their superpowers. They all know what they bring to the organization and where, what their um, p- 
primary capability is, but it's more about what is the actual vision and the strategy that we're trying to achieve that will get everybody into formation and know where they can actually provide that capability in the team formation to achieve the desired goal. Mm -hmm. If everybody gets behind that, if you can tell the story and inspire people to, to want to get behind that vision and strategy, I think that's where a true leader comes. I think enforcing those values as well. I say to everyone in the organization, you're completely safe if you adhere to our core values. I will support you, you can make mistakes, you can learn on the job, you can um, do the job you aspire to, you can mentor whoever you want, you could do whatever you want within the organization, but the one thing I will ask of you is that you adhere to the core values. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially what's driving this business today. And how do you then represent the core values and make sure that they see what those are? 100% lead by example. Yeah, so our four core values, and, and they're not um, too complicated, it is to be passionate. So I don't believe you can actually ask somebody to be passionate. Mm -hmm. So you can put them in an environment mm -hmm. or in a situation where they're passionate. So I ask everybody, are you in that situation? Have we provided the right environment? So being passionate is a core part of what we do because that's what makes you jump out of bed, that's what makes you continue to strive and to be better at what you do and then you're pretty much not working a day in your life because you're loving what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. And then the positivity comes into it. So um, the positive demeanour is makes a huge difference and I think that's also a core value of a leader. So when you say, do I, uh, do I represent those core values? Well, I think people are looking for hope. People are looking to believe in what they're doing. And I think if you're around somebody that's always positive, then it starts to become contagious. And actually, we build that as a, as a culture within your organization. And that segues really nicely into our third core value, which is to be the solution. Mm -hmm. If you're positive, your mindset is to instantly try and figure out this challenge, what's the solution? And so I ask everybody to constantly, if you don't actually have an alternative or a solution to what you're objecting to, stop objecting. Because maybe it's the only way, maybe it's the only thing we could have come up with that as a, as a solution. If you don't agree, then please give me something, give me an alternative and, and think about it and be that problem solver. And the last one is accountability. So, you know, we, like I said to you, everybody's got their superpowers and everybody, all 750 people have brought something incredibly unique to our organization and they need to have the platform and the voice and the confidence to be able to provide that and to actually add value with that superpower. And the only way you can actually really do that is if you take full accountability for what you're doing. I want to provide everybody a support network not a line manager, not somebody that they have to feel they've got to go through. Take accountability for your actions, for your future, for your own um, capabilities. Mm -hmm. Better yourself. Go, I will help, I will invest, I will give you the support network, but you're here to do a job and you're probably, the, if we could get you doing what you're best at and what you love 90% of the time, you're probably the best in the organisation at doing it. Mm -hmm. So take accountability and do it. Also, take accountability for others around you. It can't all come up to me. Mm -hmm. You know, when you see things happening around you, if we all adhere to the core values and we all believe in the strategy, then if you spot things going off piece, then jump in mm -hmm. and feel like you could take accountability to your environment and the people around you as well. So in your career or history, are there any leaders that stand out for you? Who, who have you looked to to learn from? So... 
I look at everyone, which is what's unique, because uh, you know there's a lot of people out there that talk about you know having a mentor or needing a mentor. But I'm like the epitome of an extrovert. You know, I get all of my energy from people around me, which means I'm constantly observing. Um, I I totally um, subscribe to the the notion that you can learn off every single person. You can be inspired by everyone. So I don't necessarily have a mentor, but if you think, if I think about who in, really inspires me and or has inspired me uh, is Nelson Mandela right. as an individual. And the reason why is that when you talk about that vision and when you can get an entire nation, when you think how oppressed they were and all the monstrosities that happened in that nation, how we can get everybody to think in a positive way mm. and actually think about equality and actually instead of going completely the other way, You've got an entire nation to, to start to forgive and to move in the right direction on that sort of scale. Mm. I mean, I, I think he's verging on a saint in my eyes, and then I think there's so much to learn from that. So in my small little world, which is nowhere near mm. the, the same um, impact, if I, could, if I can have that type of attitude and that type of uh, outcome from growing and running jellyfish, then yeah, I think I'm doing a great job. That's, that is quite an ambition, though, to try and make a, a company all of a positive mindset that, that follows your uh, way of um, your beliefs. So, I mean, how have you instilled that within Jellyfish? So it's things like, it's, it's raising everything. Like I said, giving everyone a voice. And so things like the induction, where I can talk about why I feel the way that I do. I can tell them that my life story isn't all plain sailing and that actually I believe life is completely random and that things are thrown at you, it's not your fault, it's not everybody else's fault, it's how things happen and it's your mindset of how you deal with it. And there are some, some milestones in my life where I had to overcome things mm -hmm. and I could have used them for excuses for the rest of my life and I haven't. And so I want to tell that story to say, don't just look at me now as the CEO of Jellyfish and think, oh, well, it's easy for you to say because you don't have all of my challenges. Mm -hmm. um, we all have our own unique challenges. So that induction gives me a chance to tell my story and, to just, and not to preach at them, just to tell them I am a human being and there is a story behind me and what we've achieved and I still totally get behind these core values and I'm just asking, can you get behind them? If you can, then you're in the right environment. If you can't, then there's, there's plenty of other options mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I very much encourage you to go and find somewhere that you feel you're the right fit. Um, Things like our monthly updates. We, you know, we, have, we use the platform Slido and we have everybody can actually anonymously ask a question. The entire company thumbs up, thumbs down, a bit like Reddit. And the ones at the top, the three top questions that have the most net thumbs up, I'm obliged to answer. And I answer it you know, in, in, the, in an honest and transparent way. So there is nothing in the organization that you can't get or information you can't get access to right. if en masse it's important to you. So instead of having all of those conversations in the pub and all the gripes and the moaning, you know, we try to bring it to the surface and see whether we can address it head on. So that breeds positivity because you feel like when you're unhappy or you're feeling negative, there's a channel to actually have that conversation and it can get to me and I have the accountability to answer it and you will get your answer in the end. So I think that kind of continues to breed. Lead by example, I mean, all of our country MDs, we get together on a hangout every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So there's face-to-face -face conversations about the challenges and we can collectively understand whether they're 
um, common challenges that we can address. We work out where we can get the biggest wins with the least amount of effort and prioritize. I, I, putting things and processes in place to continue that communication, get people to vent and to share their challenges and to have that problem-solving mindset means that you always you feel confident to bring them to the surface because people are going to take it seriously and actually try to resolve it. So we talked about having so many different locations all around the world. How, how does leadership change or differ internationally? Does, does it change by culture? What have, you, what have you experienced there? I don't think it does. Right. And I think I, I've even gone as far as to say to all of our country MDs that uh, the jellyfish office... In that, think of it like the jellyfish embassy in your country. <laughs> we have rules, there's certain, there's, there's certain core values, and we've got a global mandate. Right. And so that's going to be in your country. If you, don't get, if you don't believe in it, if it actually if you really feel that what we want and our culture and what we're trying to achieve doesn't fit in the culture of your country, mm. then we've got a bit of an issue. But if you do, 80%. I'm, I'm only asking for 80% consistency globally. We can tailor all of our products, all of our services, all of our approach... Um, our marketing materials, we can always tailor it to adhere to the criteria within the, the cultures and the environments mm-hmm. for the different markets. We can do that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I'm just asking for an 80% consistency. And that achieves most of what we need to. Right. Then, maybe we'll have an industry head. So, yes, we need to cater for particular challenges and we need the right narrative for pharmaceutical, for their compliance challenges, automotive, for where the industry's going, you know, e-commerce, how do you measure in bricks and mortar versus e-commerce? Each industry has, a, has their unique challenges and um, we can cater for that. That's the same as every market. Right. They've got their, their unique challenges, but ultimately... We, we can achieve consistency. And those core values, those four core values I'm talking about, that they are agnostic to geography. Uh-huh. So if, if it's always about, if you've got the core values, we can do the rest. There's no problem. So globally. if you have a challenge then, who do you turn to? If, you, if you're thinking, okay, I haven't dealt with this before, but I don't want the rest of the company to see me being uncertain, who, where do you turn Oh, that's, that's a double question there. Is it? Yeah, because... So let's start with the uncertain part. <laughs> one, one thing about that I afford myself and I ask the entire organisation to afford me is to always make a current decision. Right. So I think there's a difference between uncertainty and actually pivoting and changing direction because you've now got more information. So when I make a current decision... I'm basically saying to the organization, it could be the same, actually. I could, I could reprocess and think, no, we're doing the right thing. I'm going to continue in the same path. Mm-hmm. But every day, you might say to something to me in this interview right now, um, or this podcast, you might say something that will, I will experience a paradigm shift. And I'll go, I never thought of it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go away and it may change the way that we do things. So this organization, I still manage to maintain trust even though I'm pivoting all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's how you stay current, and that's how you're able to solve tomorrow's problems, and that's how you continue to grow a business in a sustainable way. Right. So that's one thing. So I don't really mind, I, I mind uncertainty, but I don't mind that people know that I'm gonna constantly change and pivot. So that, that's one thing. Um, what, how do I, when I feel uncomfortable or I feel I haven't got all the information to make an informed decision, and that I feel like I'm gonna make the right decision, I basically describe it that my 15-person global management team 
normally you think of the hierarchy where the CEO sits at the top and then you've got your next set of global leadership. I just flip it on his head. So they are my support network. So actually, in most cases, I'm trying to make a decision. I actually go to all of my global leadership based on their particular primary capability or their knowledge or their experience. And I go and I ask them. And there's, there's absolutely, I'm not too proud to ask somebody. I, there's so much I don't know. In fact, like I said, everybody in their own right are the expert in our organization out of all 780 people. So I do that. I, I will call anybody, any person within the organization, I'll call them up and just say, you know what, something's troubling me. Could you explain this to me? Mm-hmm. And they explain it with passion. They've just been called in to explain something that they are the knowledge uh, they're, they're the primary knowledge um, for, and that's what I use. I use everyone around me. I, I, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like a lonely place. So what's uh, a current trend, and probably a trend that will be sustained for a long time, is the move towards diversity and equality. How do you, as a leader in your company, ensure that's instilled within this business? So I spoke about you know the hangouts we have with all the country MDs. We have... We have groups within the organization. And so, for example, we've got office ambassadors mm-hmm. and who, who make sure that our core values are there, that we have inclusion, that everybody within that office um, feels comfortable and understands their remit of responsibility, but also where they fit either socially or from, from an inclusion standpoint. So we've got that group. We, so we've got a group when, and there's a representative in every country and they come together and they're constantly figuring out how do we ensure that everybody is included within the organization. And, um, and, and of course, we, we then we attend conferences and courses and we, we absolutely make sure that anything that, that is out there that can help us progress in that area and stay progressive in that a- area, we're constantly researching and making sure that that's included in that group. But also, it starts with the, the, the candidate pool. So when we've, got, when we've got an opportunity or we've got a vacancy in the organization, we will not appoint that person until the, the, the candidate pool is, the, is an, an appropriate diverse group, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. So we start with that. We still give the best person the job, but the pool has to start off being appropriately diverse. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that instills that behavior right from the onset. And of course... Um, you can see that in our organization, not only from our global leadership team to all the way through the organization, that it's starting to have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel that uh, we're in a great place when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, could you do better on that front? Is that something you're always thinking about? Or is it something that you feel is already instilled within the business that you're quite comfortable with already? Again, like everything, if I've got a different set of information. If, if somebody, um, one of those conferences, I'm given some information which suggests that we could do better, I will constantly pivot and I'll constantly do it. Mm-hmm. We're never complacent. I mean, that, that I can tell you. And, and again, it's uh, when you think about leaders, I don't believe leaders are people that are there to police um, existing policies and procedures mm-hmm. that's not a leader or to do the admin to sign off someone's expenses or to have a one-to-one meeting where you just aimlessly chat and I, I don't believe in, in that what I believe leaders are are the ones who are problem solving constantly evolving um, trying to be innovative 
challenging the process, challenging what we do on a day-to-day basis. So we're never going to be complacent. Mm-hmm. So to say that I think we're doing enough, you're probably never going to get that answer from me. Okay. And final question, what lesson in leadership do you wish you'd learned at an earlier, earlier time in your career? What do, you, what do you know now that you wish you'd known at a younger age? We touched upon it. It was being able to pivot. Right. Everybody believes that, you know, when you say, oh, we're going to do it this way now, and then somebody in the room says, yeah, but last week you said, mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. building a culture where you can actually pivot and, don't, and you're not scared mm-hmm. to pivot at any one point because otherwise you, you can't survive. I think early on I was a little concerned about that. I thought that when you had an opinion, when you, when you, when you set a certain course and direction, that I was a little bit nervous to move because I thought people will see me as indecisive and um, no one wants an indecisive leader so getting that balance where you've built a culture where you can pivot and you can change your course was something that I wish I could have I did a little bit earlier but you can't do it too often can you because then you'll still come across as indecisive yeah so and what I'm talking about is what's interesting is multiple small nudges and pivots actually multiple small ones can actually, you can turn 180 degrees and people might not even notice. (laughs) So I don't think the frequency is the issue. And sometimes it's like, if every time you believe there's a, there's a, you can change course a little bit, you should do it because actually it won't be as noticed. When you when you try to do a full 180 degree Mm. pivot on something, then that's really noticeable to the organization. So I'm not really worried about the frequency. Um, and as I say, if the culture is they understand that things are moving and we make decisions based on um, the information we've got, that's a bit like saying when you're optimising a campaign, you can't make too many changes. Why, why, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. That is what optimization is. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to constantly test, analyse, refine. That's, that's what you do. So you test, you analyse, you, you take the data, you make a decision and you change the, the output based on that information. If you're constantly doing that, all I'm doing on a day-to-day basis is optimizing Jellyfish and how we perform as an organization. So what would be your advice to other, to other leaders in order to facilitate that better? Because I think you're right, a lot, of, a lot of people at the top probably believe that once they've made a decision, they can't be seen to change it. So what would be your, your advice to allow them to do that? Communicate right. what the reasons are. Mm-hmm. What information? It's about insight. You know, what's the, what insight has led to this decision and get people involved in that decision. So I, sometimes I feel, because I've got the uh, unique perspective as the CEO, that I see the whole chessboard. You know, a lot of people, because they've got granular responsibilities or specific um, areas of the business that they've got to concentrate their efforts, they may see four of the squares, you know, where I'm seeing the whole chessboard. So I'm constantly got the full view. And sometimes I can see something coming in the future and I believe we need to pivot. Mm. It doesn't mean I'm going to wait and then just send it as an instruction. At that point, I start gathering the information and I get people involved so that actually everyone owns that. So I'm just basically seeing that this problem or this challenge is coming. And then I think who are the right people to get involved in the process to make a decision on what's the best way to actually cater for that challenge and so by having inclusion getting the right people in the room to make that decision with you and then owning that decision in actual fact a lot of the times you're not actually pivoting we are and then that makes all the difference rob thank you very much for your insights that's been fascinating pleasure